white folks were so good to me till when I got sick and disabled and wet, they just come in and bring me something to eat, clothes, done everything. Fed me, clothed me, and I had a house full of children, and they fed my children. Yes, sir, been working all of my life, and the white folks raised me. Mister, I tell you the truth, I don't know what in the world I'd do without white folks. Now, that's the truth. And mistress, I'm just a white folks nigga. I'm a nigga and all of my children's a nigga. Wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more back to thinking. Time for thinking ahead. The world changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war and poverty. What is the government hiding about the fires that destroyed the city of Lahaina on Maui, Hawaii? Well, newly released documents show a lot of names and a lot of names that have been redacted. Those individuals that tried to respond to the fires, uh, who tried to sign into Maui's Emergency Operations Center, and those names have been withheld from the public. Why is that? What is the government hiding about these fires? Nick Sorter is an independent journalist. He's in Lahaina uh, at this hour, uh, in the dark of night right now, and he joins us. Uh, you received these documents, Nick. What do you think the government is hiding, and what do these documents show us? So, so basically, the documents are, it, it's a sign-in sheet for the Emergency Operations Center on the day of the fire, the day that Lahaina was incinerated. Uh, however, this took months and months and months for them to release this heavily redacted sign-in sheet. And, you know, all it does is it brings more questions and answers at this point, because, you know, we don't know who were making the calls. Who were the ones that, you know, who made the call to block the roads? Uh, who, who was commanding the Coast Guard that day? And it, it, it took them hours to start rescuing people in the water out here who made that call. We don't know, we don't know who any of those people are. And, and most of these people work for the Hawaiian government as well with various different organizations. There's no reason these names should be redacted. And, but the censorship of information out here on Maui is it, it, it's unbelievable all it does everything that the government out here ends up doing just makes people trust them even less and you know of course it's going to look like they're hiding a bunch of stuff based on making redactions like that on a sign-in sheet that's really sketchy we've also heard from first responders who said they were turned away when they arrived and firefighters who were there on scene and who were turned away told to leave the scene and to get out Again, have you heard that from first responders, firefighters, and individuals that you've spoken with there on Lahaina? Yeah, and, and, and I have heard that. But in addition to that, the, the firefighters that were on the scene didn't even have water. They're trying to fight a fire without water. And, you know, that's a whole mystery in and of itself. They didn't, they didn't have the resources. They didn't, I mean, it was such a, such a, a cluster. And to think that all of this stuff went wrong, you know, how many coincidences can there possibly be? Right, I mean, let's go through some of these coincidences, right? Mobile phone service was turned off uh, many hours before the fire, right? Why, why was mobile phone service turned yeah. off before the fire? Um, we had electricity, reports of electricity turned off before the fire. Uh, tourists were allowed to be evacuated, but locals were held back. Why were locals not evacuated in all of this? 
the government um, of the governor made a proclamation just a few days before the fire. Um, I would say like dictatorial rights um, and allowed the governor to do to to have, you know, control over this zone in the event of a natural disaster, which is really which is really eye opening. Why would they do this a few days beforehand, Nick? That's the the million dollar question out here at, at this point, and that's a, a question that they haven't bothered answering. Now, the keep in mind, Hawaii is the most corrupt state in the union, uh, and it's really not close. So they've never been held accountable. They know that they can get away with a lot of different things, uh, especially, you know, they feel like they don't owe the people any sort of answers. So no matter what the issue is, they, they don't care. And when the media goes away, and thank God you're covering this now, uh, when the media goes away, they're, they they start relaxing even more. I mean, there's nobody to press them. And whistleblowers and such out here are terrified of retribution. It's very hard to find any sort of whistleblower out here because the government is so corrupt. You point out in these documents, if we go back to the redacted documents, you, you of course, you say that Maui County has refused to say who was in charge that day. I mean, if the governor had dictatorial rights that do we know, was it Maui County? Well, I mean, was it the state? Was it the federal government? We don't know, right? No, we have no idea. And that seems like a pretty easy question to answer. Uh, but for whatever reason, they, they don't want to. I, I don't know if it was, you know, I, I just, I, I want to know the main shot caller here. Was it the mayor? Is he trying to cover it up for political reasons? It's very likely. Uh, the, the chief of police has been hiding for months and months now. Nobody has heard from him. He hasn't taken any questions. He hasn't uh, done any interviews. He won't talk to the people. I haven't found a single person that has seen him here since uh, like October. Wow. So was he the one that made the call to block the roads and keep all the residents in? You know, Clayton, the only people that survived in Lahaina uh, are the ones that went around the roadblock, you know, illegally went around the, the Maui PD's roadblock. So we don't have any answers about that either. Why were they blocking the roads? And people are wondering if the chief of police has resigned. I mean, uh, literally a top query right now is whether or not uh, the, the chief of police on Maui has actually resigned because no one's heard. No, no one's heard of him. Uh, and of course, a lot of people drawing comparisons to the investigation in Las Vegas, um, that the, the same people overseeing the investigation of the mass shooting in Las Vegas is being uh, is is now in charge of this. And we still have incredible amounts of questions without answers in Las Vegas. Um, and the same here, no? Yeah, I mean, it seems like the guy is just really good at covering up uh, covering up situations like this because there were so many, so many things that kind of allude to a, a cover up in Las Vegas. And then you come out here and it... An even bigger bombshell though was dropped last night by Congressman Thomas Massey. Actually, I don't know that it's a bigger bombshell. They're both huge, right? Who is the mysterious guy tipping off police? You can see here in just moments, he walks up to, of course, the police car, and then in the black car, here he comes. This is the other backpack guy. He walks up and lets the police know at 1.05 p.m., precisely the same time that stuff was happening at the Capitol building, right? So he there talks to the police officers. They don't do anything. They continue eating their lunch, and they sit there for another few minutes. Oh, there's a pipe bomb over there on the bench right next to our cars. And oh, and by the way, Kamala Harris is in the building. That's her Secret Service detail. That's cool. So then he walks around the other side, and then nothing I'm gonna happens. I'm going to finish my lunch. I'm just going to hang out for another few minutes. Nothing big deal. So who is this mysterious guy tipping off police that there's a pipe bomb? Well, Thomas Massey asked 
FBI Director Christopher Ray that very question. Who is this guy, and why won't you tell us who he is? Watch. Who walked by that bench and then went up to the police uh, and the detail. Didn't, it, didn't do that accidentally. They had a purpose in mind, and that what transpired after that was the result of information that person gave to them. If that person found the pipe bomb, would they be a suspect? Well, again, I don't want to speculate about specific individuals. I will tell you that we have done thousands of interviews, uh, reviewed something like 40,000 video files, of which this is uh, one, assessed uh, 500-something tips. Have you interviewed that person? Devices. We, we have conducted all logical investigative steps and interviewed all logical individuals at this then point. Then you need, it's 900 days. You need to tell us what you found because we're finding stuff you haven't released into the public. So, of course, that was last July. Well, Massey finally found out who he was. Who was that guy? Who was Backpack Guy? And told Matt Gates this last night on his show. Watch. You recently met with Capitol Police. Correct. Today. Today. And what did you learn in that meeting? I learned that uh, Backpack Guy, January 6th Backpack Guy, not to be confused with January 5th Backpack Person, uh, Backpack Guy was a uh, non-uniform, you know, plain clothes police officer, you know, in the employ of the Capitol Hill police. What? The person who found the pipe bomb, the person who D'Antuano, who was leading the investigation, say, oh, yeah, the person who found it, it'd be investigation 101 that they would be a suspect initially until ruled out. You're saying that person was an undercover, plainclothes Capitol Police officer, and the Capitol Police confirmed that to you today. They confirmed that to me today. Yes. Okay. What? I mean, what? And so to Thomas Massey's point, what the hell? It seemed like when he was interviewing Chris Ray, he said, this guy had a purpose. He knew it. January 6th pipe bomb narrative is about to collapse. The story is being buried, of course, by the mainstream media. So we want to shed as much light on it as possible here on Redacted. We now have some bombshell developments in the January 6th pipe bomb hoax and the FBI cover-up portion of the story that we want to bring to you. Uh, we now know incontrovertibly that the FBI participated in the smokescreen uh, and potential cover-up of this hoax. We'll get to that part of the story in a moment. And we now know, by the way, the identity of the guy who was seen here tipping off police and the Secret Service about the pipe bomb. You can see him uh, walking over to the police and then to the Secret Service and letting them know about that pipe bomb that was sitting on the bench of the DNC right out in front. Uh, we also now know that thanks to Congressman Thomas Massey last night, uh, we know this about the backpack guy. Uh, of course, all of this makes sense. So here is the backpack guy, the original backpack guy on January 5th, of course, dropping the bombs in multiple locations. Of course, all of this makes sense when you think about it for a second. Why can't the FBI track down and then you find backpack guy who planted the pipe bombs? They have video footage of the guy, as you can see right here, uh, leaving the bombs. They have footage of him going to a car. They have footage of him using the subway. They have cell phone tracking data. He pulls the phone out while he's sitting on the bench and the bomb component parts that would lead them directly to this guy. Now, according to former FBI agent, FBI bomb expert, those component parts are like having a fingerprint. You know exactly where they came from. Every destructive device has a signature, and it's something that is pretty much unique to the person who put that bomb together. The components of the bomb, I've worked bombing cases in the past where that the components have actually led us to the neighborhood of where the bomber was. Uh, here, you know, the, the FBI has the components. They've gone through them. Yeah, they do. 
<laughs> and it's really surprising that nearby the FBI, they use the exact same pipe bombs at their FBI training facility. Yeah, but that guy's got a super stealth outfit of a gray sweatshirt and sweatpants. Okay. It's, you know. Yeah. It's like ninja level disguise. But the fact that these, uh, these, these particular pipe bombs are the exact ones that they use at the FBI training facility nearby. Like yeah, you, that's also very fishy, isn't it? Like, Clay? if you had to put this two and two together, you're like, okay, where did you come up with this idea? And oh, by the way, they don't work. They're not real pipe bombs. So where did you get these phony-looking pipe bombs? Down to the wiring and the kitchen timers that the FBI uses down the street at their training facility. Where did you get these? So the FBI can continue this charade, and they don't know who this guy is. But of course they do. They know exactly who this guy is. Uh, but we're not stupid. They continue to spin this yarn. Why don't we know who the backpack guy is? Why don't we? They know who he is. The answer is because they don't want to let us know. They were involved, of course, from the very beginning in this cover-up and hoax, and they don't want us to know the involvement of this. Just for some context here, here is backpack guy. Tonight, the FBI releasing new video of the person suspected of planting those pipe bombs the night before the Capitol riot. January. Or the Capitol riot. And the FBI officially confirming those pipe bombs placed at the Democratic and Republican National Committee headquarters could kill. These pipe bombs were viable devices that could have been detonated, resulting in serious injury or death. The video offering specific detail on the suspect's movements. At 7.40, the suspect seen walking along this residential street. Investigators interested in their somewhat unusual gait. Moments later, a person walking a dog passes by. By 7.52, the suspect has made it to the DNC headquarters. The suspect sits on a bench and appears to fumble with that backpack. A bomb is later discovered in the bush adjacent to the bench. At 8.14, the same suspect walking down an alley next to the RNC headquarters. A bomb placed there as well before exiting the area walking past the Capitol Hill Club. The FBI handing out a profile as it asks for the public's help. They want your help until they don't. So here's the profile they put out seeking information, pipe bombs in Washington, DC. Here's the guy, here are the sneakers, here's the Nike Air sneakers, the Michael Jordan sneakers. Here are the pipe bombs that conveniently look exactly like the ones we use at our training facility down the street. According to friend of the show, Kyle Serafin, former FBI agent, Kyle Serafin, whistleblower, Kyle Serafin, American hero, Kyle Serafin, he led FBI surveillance teams. He told the Daily Wire that shortly after January 6th, a counterintelligence team met him at a firehouse in Falls Church, Virginia, to brief him on the next surveillance target. What was their next mission? Who was that target? Well, none other than the person of interest in the pipe bombing story. Was it the man himself? We don't know, but it was a person of interest. Kyle Serafin was never confirmed as to whether or not this was the actual guy or not, but it was the person of interest. They had security footage that allowed Kyle and the team to follow this guy and backpack guy down into the metro station after he planted the bombs. And then they identified the fare card that he used to get on the metro. That fare card then allowed them to determine that the person got off a metro stop in Northern Virginia where surveillance footage showed the person entering a car. Both the car and the fare card were then in the, were in the name of the same exact human being who is a retired Air Force Chief Master Sergeant who is now working as a contractor with a security clearance, Kyle said. Now, Serafin and his team were assigned to stake out the person's row home for a number of days. They were watching him. But the FBI then blocked the request to interview this person. And then they were called off the target. Nope, all right, you're done. You got a little too close to the stove. <laughs> Completely taken off the case. And then 
sent to look into other January 6th individuals who were just around the Capitol that day. Other, as Kyle described it, low priority targets. You're literally watching the guy who planted the bombs. Probably. Person of interest. But you're pulled off of that. So what happened? Well, higher-ups told them to stand down. Nothing to see here. As they were running this, like, charade for And under international law, if you put a military ISR aircraft right along the edge of the ADIS, we have an ADIS, everybody does, everybody has an air identification zone. Then, under the international law, the country that is under surveillance has the right to shoot it down, unless you've informed that country that you are not a threat. Well, we didn't do that. It was a setup. There was that people knew that the Iranians would shoot this down, which they had every right to do. And then Donald Trump said, well, how many people are we going to kill as a result of this strike? And they said, well, it could be 500, could be 800. And of course, he said, well, they didn't kill any Americans. This was unmanned. And finally, the key question was, well, what happens after the strike? Well, you get a war with Iran. And, you know, and he said, well, I'm not sure we want that. That's not a good idea. So he avoided the apocalypse, okay, as far as Iran is concerned and we're concerned. Well, now we have this man, Biden. He's an altogether different personality. And I think in his own deranged mind, he is a playing field marshal. And he's got everybody presenting it with all these options. And you have this chorus of people on the Hill. You have enormous numbers of wealthy, powerful donors. They're calling the White House. This is our moment. You must strike Iran. Well, if you do, you're going to get a major war, and that's not going to stop anytime soon. But their argument is, oh, no, if you fly B-52s over and do real damage, that will deter Iran. Well, if you believe that, I've got lots of swamp land uh, in Florida for you that I'll be happy to sell you because that's absurd. <laughs> it's, we're not going to deter anything. Right. That's the question. What are we going to deter? Are we, if Iran is not involved in it, they're not responsible for it then how are we going to deter Iran if they're not responsible for it? The logic doesn't make any sense. And meanwhile, this back and forth, there are American service members being killed here. Now, you you know, it's very interesting. You have these three service members who were killed and was asked President Biden, where are you going to have, is the president going to speak to the families of these service members killed? And that's what I kind of want to bring it back to. It's, these are Americans who are all throughout this region at these outposts and these bases, in many of these spots illegally. Um, and there's been really no discussion about that part of it at all. And the, the, the framing of it is, how can we protect our American forces? How can we protect our American forces over there? To my mind, it's, well, you bring them home. Exactly. You don't have them there. You don't have them in these illegal outposts. Well, sitting there as cannon fodder. And the Biden administration has admitted, even in a New York Times article just a few days ago, admitting that it's only a matter of time before they're attacked, before they're killed, before they're attacked. So they're sitting ducks. They're being used as cannon fodder here. Well, they've been magnets for attack for a long time, but certainly since the 7th of October when Israel began its operations in Gaza. And it didn't happen immediately after 7 October. It really ramped up after many days had passed because that's when people realized the Israeli campaign <clears throat> is not a vengeance campaign. It's not simply designed to, quote unquote, restore deterrence. In other words, scare everyone. No, we're, gonna, we're not going to act like for the last 10 months. Who called it first? It's official now. They're attacking the homeless. And I, what did I say? Why? I said the homeless know how to survive. See, if they finna wreck the economy, right? And remember they said, by 2025, you'll own nothing and like it, be happy. Well, that means you got to start in 2024. Now, what does that mean? 
people who've been starving and struggling their whole life, they know what to do. They they hustle every day. They know how to survive. Remember, they now look up. They started coming up missing. They've been disposing of them. Now it's attack the people who gonna teach you how to survive. Once we get all of them eliminated, all of y'all in y'all nice cushy homes, get out. No, no, there will be no assistance from anybody teaching you how to survive on the street. They removing them. They making it felony charges to be down on your luck in America. But migrants get a hundred billion dollars. They finna put y'all out of y'all houses. Y'all know that if you a renter, if you are a renter in a home or you pay a mortgage, I want y'all to share this. Y'all will be the first ones put out. They finna make things to where it is. Why do you think they offering the people money in San Diego right now and Oklahoma for the earthquakes and the floods? And then if you don't accept their money, they're going to force you out. They're going to say, like I told y'all, the land is uninhabitable. Don't y'all see it coming? They're giving you a chance to take the pennies on the dollar right now, right? Or we're going to take it from you. Y'all don't see this happening. They doing it to the homeless first. And the renters. And then the, and the one with the mortgages. And then the possibly the homeowners. Yep. You know I'm always going to find out the truth. So the Evergrande Developmental com- Company has went under in China. But they knew it was going to go under in China. So guess what the Chinese was doing? Buying up all the American land. So, China got 2 billion people. About 2.5 billion. You know how they just helping Africa out too? They're going to dump about 500 million over there. country they bought America now what do you do if you're a country that own up 75 75% of the land in another country and you got an overpopulation problem well since I own this land you know I might well let my people come the white folks was the original colonizers on this land. Arabs was the first to do it. Then they taught the, the white folks how to do it. Guess who won't they turn the colonization of the world now? The people with the overpopulation problem. And their biggest business is about to go under. Hey, y'all know what's crazy? They have just made it illegal to be homeless in most of the country right now, right? And then they allocated, I think it's like $53 million to migrants who came across the border, gave them free housing, 
a $3,000 siphon every single month and free health care in, in uh, I, think, I think in California and some other states. Now, how is that possible? How do you how do you have money for migrants, right? And you have homeless people living on the streets all throughout America right now. How is that how is that possible that you have this money? This and, and some of that money was from the pandemic. They said it's, it was a uh, it was you know, I'm not going to say the word, aid, right? Money left over from that that they are allocating towards you know, migrants that came across the border. So, in America, that's America, guys. Can't take care of your own people, but you can, you can, you can take care of some folks that haven't even paid into the system. Think about it, deuces. Yeah, you got to realize this, though, man. I've been listening to a lot of this and how people feel about the migrants coming over here and this all that it's a setup when I'm looking at it see it's a setup as I'm looking at it because being a being a uh, stolen property my, our forefathers went through all this other stuff right um, this white supremacy and all this other stuff that they had to go through. Now, I see that they trying to um, put, instead of the white against the black, now it's supposed to be the American people against the migrant, that the people that they chose to elect to put in office put out there, but they're going to get mad at the people that coming over here instead of the people who allowing them to come over here got some crafty counsel so they want people to start fighting the migraine then it's it gonna be an uproar then they're gonna start trying to bring in other stuff because it's a something crafty counsel coming up on this that we're not they're not playing the whole puzzle out yet so my thing is they trying to get the common man in america and the common woman in america a, to do something about or do something to the migrant so it could be an uproar and then they start implementing all this old crazy stuff. America never did anything for people unless they got a hidden agenda. And I'm trying to figure out this hidden agenda as I listen to this stuff and as I I, I, I kind of like, you know, observing the, the, the moves that they making and and the talk that people talking. Check that out and don't get caught up in the mess, fam. Do not get caught up in this mess. Our forefathers went through that mess about this and that and this and that and this and that. And we just gonna have to be careful, play it out, and not get indulged into mess. A lot of people mad, but you can't get mad at the, the immigrant that's coming over here. You got to get mad at the people that y'all allow to put in office to allow this to happen. That's who y'all should be mad at. That's who y'all should be concerned with. But y'all always want to take it out on something else. Now, and and y'all paying all these people to taxpayers and voting and all this stuff for this to happen. 
Passing along some updates on this as well, talking about U.S. aggression on a number of sites in Syria's desert areas, Syrian Iraqi border, resulting in a number of casualties and injuries. They do not detail exactly how many. Uh, they do call it U.S. aggression, so making it pretty clear, as our Jennifer Griffin has just stated, that these strikes have begun. Uh, to Jennifer Griffin now at the Pentagon. Jennifer. Neil, it's been a bit confusing over here this afternoon here at the Pentagon, but I do want to clarify, we can now report that uh, U.S. strikes in both Syria and Iraq at spots in at locations in both of those countries have begun. That is official from two U.S. defense officials. Earlier, when we were talking about some of those initial explosions in Syria, there is still some confusion about which military carried out those initial strikes. But we can say that what we have been expecting all afternoon and for days now, frankly, is that the U.S. campaign led by U.S. Central Command, which will involve, we're told, air assets as well as sea assets as well as space assets. Uh, this is going to be a multi-tiered campaign. It's going to last days. It's going to uh, strike multiple targets. Um, I'm told upwards of uh, a dozen to two dozen targets in uh, Syria and Iraq targeting those Iranian prox proxy forces, the bases where they store the rockets, the drones, the command and control, uh, and and that is what they're going to be focusing on. We reported earlier today that the U.S. had B-1B Lancer bombers that had been deployed to the region uh, from bases uh, in 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 the UK. Uh, those B-1B bombers, I would expect to be involved. That is the uh, Air Forces. Uh, it carries the largest conventional payload. Um, they, they will be involved. Uh, you can expect that, the, that, that there will be tomahawks involved. Um, you have a, a, sub, a submarine, the USS Florida, that is in the region. It has 150 tomahawks on board, as well as uh, the, uh, the U.S. Eisenhower. You have an air component with F-35s, F-16s, F-15s in the region, F-18s. Um, this is going to be a complex, uh, multi-layered uh, attack and it is designed to, very, to send a very, very strong and serious message, I'm told, uh, to Tehran as well as to the proxy forces on the ground. A secret lab in China reportedly carried out a war game simulated against the United States. It showed hypersonic missiles launching into orbit and destroying American warships. Rich Edson, live in Washington, D.C., to explain what happened here, Rich. Hey, good morning, Dana. Well, in this reported war game, a Chinese simulation shows these missiles evading U.S. military detection to strike an American aircraft carrier group using low-orbit satellites to get these missiles through the U.S. Navy Spy-1 radar. It's a detection system on the Arleigh Burke class of guided missile destroyers. A Chinese government lab in Chengdu ran this computer simulation. All this is reported in the South China Morning Post. It's a Hong Kong-based Chinese-owned publication that's previously published what it has reported as Chinese military advancements. A Pentagon spokesperson says the Defense Department does not comment on hypothetical scenarios or virtual simulations. One analyst says the U.S. should have confidence in its radar detection systems, and this could all just be part of China's propaganda strategy. It's possible that they did this to simply freak out the American people and the U.S. Navy. China spends a great deal of time saber-rattling, and they saber-rattle to basically churn up 
U.S. attention and anxiety, and it caused stress in the U.S. military system. The U.S. Navy has warned China's Navy is larger than its American rival, that Beijing has greater shipbuilding capacity than the United States, and that China is deploying this growing naval presence more aggressively around the world. Defense officials have also warned China is spending a lot more on its military than it claims. Senator Dan Sullivan has said U.S. estimates put China's defense budget at around $700 billion a year. That's two to three times other published estimates. The U.S. defense budget is about $800 billion. I'm about to get on their ass this time. I'm about to get on their wrong. The police can kill a man on camera and get qualified immunity. And I'm tired of beefing with my own kind. I'm trying to find some unity. Tired of the foolery. The system abusing me. I got to ride with the tool of me. This shit ain't cool to me. But I'll be damned if I let you niggas make a fool of me. So I keep two on me. Uh, I done came a long way from the block with breakdowns. Finally opened my eyes when I had my daughter. Got tired of them shakedowns. The way I survived the game is still pain in my heart. I got a lot to say now. And I'ma show my whole ass on these motherfuckers. I ain't about to play around. Whatever happened to freedom of speech? Cause they telling niggas what to say now. When guilty ass don't wanna hear the truth, try to act defended, shit pitiful. If I was you, I'd be miserable. This war we fighting is spiritual. In other words, I'm doing God's work when I turn thoughts into artwork. My words fly like darts work, specifically designed to hit the target. They don't even want to teach history the way it's meant to be because the shit is heartless. I might not change the world, but it's a chance I can spark the brain that's gonna get it started. Many die for me to walk like this, for me to talk like this, but the peace to Marcus. Got my eyes behind the scope, and I ain't taking number headshots. I got great aim, but my four five still came with a red dot. I got in this game, and I put this bitch in the headlock. Affirmative action is reaching the highest levels. In his last debate, Joe Biden said this. I committed that if I'm elected president, have an opportunity to appoint someone to the courts, Will be. A, I'll appoint the first black woman to the courts. It's required that they have representation now. It's long overdue. Secondly, if I'm elected president, my my cabinet, my administration will look like the country, and I commit that I will in fact appoint a. I pick a woman to be vice president. The court he's talking about is the Supreme Court, but what woman would he choose for vice president? There are several candidates, including Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris. But the name that keeps popping up is that of a black woman, Stacey Abrams. Almost a year ago, Patrick Buchanan published a column called Why Joe May Be Courting Stacey. Mr. Biden was even considering the idea of offering his candidacy as a package deal from the start, Uncle Joe and Aunt Stacey. That talk picked up right after the announcement. Joe Biden vows to pick a woman as his VP. Some say it could be Stacey Abrams. Note the subhead. Mr. Biden calls her the woman who should have been the governor of Georgia. Well, she sure thinks she should have been governor. Last April, four months after the 2018 election, we got headlines like Stacey Abrams hasn't conceded Georgia's gubernatorial race. She still can't believe she lost by 55,000 votes. She says, if you're fighting against the system and it's designed to oppress you, sometimes you have to fight a little bit longer than you think. Refusing to concede has made her a hero to the left, as you can see in this flattering New York Times Magazine profile called Why Stacey Abrams is Still Saying She Won. 
You ask me, why are her hands green? I have no answer to that question. Of course, when Donald Trump was debating Hillary Clinton in 2018 and suggested that the electoral system was rigged and that he, that he might not accept the outcome, the New York Times called it a remarkable statement that seemed to cast doubt on American democracy. Well, thanks to protective coloring and female privilege, there are no such scoldings for Stacy. And I can't help being amused by her naked ambition. In February, as The Hill reported, Stacey Abrams' position on being VP? Of course I want it. Asked in the same interview if she wanted to be president, she said, absolutely. She said it would be a disservice to every woman of color not to seek high office. Because you see, being Stacey Abrams is all about being a woman of color. While conservatives huff and puff idiotically about the dangers of identity politics, especially for white people, Stacey Abrams says identity politics is exactly who we are and exactly how we won. She says that a failure to focus on racial differences would give minority voters the impression they have no reason to engage and no reason to show up. Well, isn't she saying non-whites have no reason other than their own narrow racial interests to be interested in politics? That you can't expect them to think about what's good for the whole country? She beat the same drum in an article last April in Foreign Affairs called Identity Politics Strengthens Democracy. She acknowledged that there's a lot of tension in a multicultural society, but went on to write this. New, vibrant, noisy voices represent the strongest tool to manage the growing pains of multicultural coexistence. By embracing identity and its prickly, uncomfortable contours, Americans will become more likely to grow as one. What? Blacks voting for blacks, Hispanics for Hispanics, homosexuals for homosexuals, and, and heaven forbid, maybe even whites voting for whites. That's going to make us grow as one? I don't think so. And I'm not sure Miss Abrams really thinks so either. As far as I can tell, for her, identity politics is just another way of saying, bye-bye, Whitey. She lays it all out in a document called The Abrams Playbook about her strategy and path to victory in 2020 in Georgia. If you turn to page four, you will find this graph called Georgia's Diversifying Electorate. Diversifying, of course, means fewer white their numbers are crashing, with non-whites likely to overtake them in just a few years. And as Ms. Abrams blandly points out, in Georgia, as in other states, race is often the strongest predictor of political unity. Identity politics doesn't mean growth as one. It means a tidal wave of non-whites who will vote out the white man and vote in people like her. If I hadn't been told that the Great Replacement is a laughable, loony conspiracy theory, I'd say Miss Abrams believes in it. I'd say she's counting on it. Miss Abrams has been Miss Black Identity all her life. Here she is as a college student burning the Georgia state flag, back in the days when it included the Confederate battle flag. Miss Abrams also wants to sandblast the Stone Mountain sculpture that honors Jeff Davis, Robert E. Lee, and Stonewall Jackson. She says that when the monument was carved in 1915, it had no purpose other than celebration of racism, terror, and division. 
Well, wouldn't it help us grow as one if she could recognize that for a lot of people, it celebrates bravery, honor, devotion? Huh, no chance of that. Her identity politics don't leave room for anything else. So why would Joe Biden want her for vice president? I suspect it's because he's got a lot of racism to live down. I made a whole video about all the sensible things he used to say that are considered horrible in today's wide awake Democrat Party. There's a link to the video in the description box below, but I'll give you highlights. He said he'd be damned if he ever paid reparations for slavery. He told white people that black people don't want integration any more than they do. He said he didn't care how criminals got that way. He just wanted them locked up. No root causes jabber for him. Of course, he's been eating crow and licking boots ever since. So with a genuine fire-breathing woman of color on his ticket, he'd be down to the homies. And if Uncle Joe floats into the White House, we'd have not just a historic twofer, we'd have a historic threefer. The first lady VP, the first black VP, and the first romance novelist VP. That's right, under the name of Selena Montgomery, Miss Abrams has written eight bodice rippers, or more precisely, identity bodice rippers. All the bodices being ripped belong not just to persons of color, but to black persons of color. But I do wonder just a bit about someone in high office who gives her books titles such as Secrets and Lies, Reckless, Deception, Never Tell, and Hidden Sins. And let us not forget that Joe Biden is a geezer. He's even older than I am. He would be 78 on Inauguration Day, making him the oldest president ever to take the oath. And he may be losing his marbles. Joe Biden isn't gaff prone, says this headline. He's losing his mind. If he died in office or got to be such an embarrassment that he had to be put out to pasture with the 25th Amendment, the romance novelist would become commander in chief. But don't worry. One of her romances is called Rules of Engagement. Well, Stacey Abrams may not get the nod. Even crazed Democrats may wonder if she'd really be a bonus in the general election. But whomever Uncle Joe picks, he, she, or it will not be a friend of ours. Thanks for watching. Just the other day, Tucker Carlson mocked the American Armed Forces. Pregnant women are going to fight our wars, he asked, and laughed at the idea of maternity flight suits and new military gear that won't mess up a lady's hairdo. The Pentagon shot back with this. Press Secretary Smite's host, meaning Tucker Carlson, that dissed diversity in U.S. military. Dissed diversity? Is that how the brass talks these days? And look at this. The United States military is the greatest the world has ever seen because of its diversity, Pentagon Press Secretary John F. Kirby said. Just so we really got the diversity message, this smiting of Tucker Carlson came with a photo of the 38 black women who graduated from West Point in 2020. Did they get a separate graduation ceremony like the ones minorities get in the Ivy League? I thought the Army was supposed to be about team spirit. Artillery Colonel Daniel Blackman helpfully tweeted, One-fourth, if not more, of my formation, if not more, are women.
They are badass. Take note, ISIS and Taliban, they are badass. Sergeant Major of the Army Michael Grinston tweeted, Women lead our most lethal units with character. They will dominate any future battlefield we're called to fight on. A tweet from the official account of the 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force, now taken down, taunted Mr. Carlson, saying, Come back when you've served and been pregnant. A lot of women do just that. As this 2017 Daily Caller article noted, a record 16 out of 100 Navy women are reassigned from ships to shore duty due to pregnancy. Of course, it took a Freedom of Information Act request to get that figure. But don't worry, it costs only about $30,000 to take a pregnant sailor off a ship and send her home. DOD put out a video complaining that in past wars, women were only in supporting roles. But now, thank God, they're in combat units. Somehow, it failed to point out that unlike today's endless slogs, we actually won those wars. Senator Ted Cruz was one of the few people to point out that the armed services are supposed to be apolitical and that only third world armies fight TV hosts. This stuff about ferocious women warriors is what you hear from officers whose careers will end unless they parrot this nonsense. Ask real soldiers. I know a man who served in Afghanistan. He said there were women in the unit to pat down Afghan women who might be carrying bombs. When it came to real soldier work, he said women were as useful as a rucksack full of rocks. His words, not mine. But what does he know? We're all supposed to believe women will thrive out here. Of course, the first big push for diversity wasn't for women, but for non-whites. Maybe you remember the Fort Hood attack in 2009, when a Muslim major, Nidal Hassan, killed 13 fellow soldiers. The top army officer at the time, General George Casey, said he was worried about a backlash against diversity. As he explained, our diversity, not only in our army, but in our country, is a strength. And as horrific as this tragedy was, if our diversity becomes a casualty, I think that's worse. What's a little problem like soldiers shooting each other compared to diversity? Even before that, the general had said, I firmly believe the strength of our army comes from our diversity. Those all-white Marines in the Pacific they were wimps. The Germans would have whipped the Russians on the Eastern Front if only they'd had pregnant women and Mexicans. Speaking of Mexicans, this government site writes that Hispanic Americans serve proudly in the U.S. military. That's a Mexican flag this proud, happy Latina is pointing to. And here is a 2019 photo of American soldiers posing with a Mexican flag. Which side would they be on if we had to fight a Latin American country? Here are black women at West Point in 2016 doing the black power salute in support of Black Lives Matter. How hard are they going to fight for the United States? Naturally, the Army has a chief diversity officer, and here he is, Colonel Timothy Holman, with all his war ribbons. And here's an article about him. Army aggressively working to eliminate extremism, says Chief Diversity Officer. And we all know what they mean by extremism. Not Muslim craziness or communism 
or critical race theory. Colonel Holman says, the battle against extremism is different from other challenges the army encounters. Extremism can tear apart cohesive teams. I have never heard of Nazis or Kluxers doing that. But as we saw, Mexican flags and black power, they're not going to be a problem. The army has something called Eye Watch, which is supposed to keep the boys and the girls on the sniff for terrorism. Chief Diversity Officer Holman says Eye Watch now has a new purpose, flush out white supremacy. As you know, white supremacists remain the deadliest U.S. terror threat, so every soldier better do his part. The Navy has an official reading list that will, as the website explains, develop a seasoned team of naval warriors. Number two on the list is How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram Kendi. There are 16 books on the list, but only a few, like this one, are about fighting. There are a lot of self-help books, like Ego is the Enemy. No fewer than seven out of 16 are about how to be nice to minorities, racial and sexual, and even a whole book about people with disabilities forging a new civil rights movement. How on earth will reading this stuff build a seasoned team of naval warriors? Really? Our soldiers are not about defending America. The Navy used to have a recruiting slogan, America's Navy, a global force for good, social work on the high seas. I don't think these fellows thought they were a global force for good. Their job was to kill people. For 20 years, it was army, be all you can be, right? Wear a uniform and you might get to date this girl. The army still has mighty strange ideas about what it's for. The Department of Defense put out this video so that you can watch as Jackie Aina explains how the U.S. Army Reserve prepared her for a career as a beauty influencer and diversity activist with millions of social media followers. Let's watch some of it. It's your girl, Jackie. She is sure being all she can be. The Chinese are terrified. Remember this bunch at West Point? How long will it be before the Pentagon puts out inspiring videos about how they went on to be best-selling rap artists and champion pole dancers? The armed services have been hit with a diversity hex just as bad as any other institution in the country. And what's the latest? Transgender surgery is now free for military thanks to Biden executive order. Changing your sex costs $200,000 or more. It's worth a four-year hitch just to get it for free. And oh, what terrifying soldiers they will make. We used to have soldiers, not misfits in uniforms, but then we used to have a country, and until we have a country again, we won't have an army. We won't have a culture. We won't even have a history. Keep this up and we will have nothing. Thanks for watching. My name, my name's Warren Baylog, all right? I'm with the National Justice Party. We're, we're the guys that are out here. We support you guys all the way. It is. It is. They made it a racial thing, man. Yeah. 
Oh man, is that what he said? Yeah, word for word what he said. Oh man, if you want to get in touch, you know, anything we can do, man. Anything we can do to help you, anything we can do to make oh, sure. Y'all have got more out about this situation than any yeah. news could. Appreciate it, brother. Really do. It means a lot. I'll tell all these guys here. It was. It was. Now it's happening all over the country. He wasn't even there a week. Yeah. He wasn't supposed to be in the house he was in. Oh my god. The dude that was in the house was so scared of him and his son left. Yeah. Oh my god. That dude been there maybe five days. Oh my god. And every day, because every one of these kids were playing back. Yeah, um, I had came across these guys uh, in my, <laughs> I don't know what it is, that we could feel the other dude that he was talking, he was kind of like a hee-haw, and I want you to understand the mindset of what they talking about out here, man. Now, you know, um, how, um, this black guy supposed to have killed this white girl, something about it. It's something I don't know too much about it, right? And a lot of white people are protesting. Now, you know, like, where is all that energy at when white people are non-pigmentation man, non-pigmentation woman, non-melanated man and non-melanated woman, when they, when they nation kills one of my nation, how come the energy is not this thick when the police do wrong? Justice for Jupiter! Justice for Jupiter! Justice for Jupiter! We're here outside the Cass County Courthouse to demand justice for the brutal torturing and murder of Daisy Paulson. They refuse to do anything about it. They're denying us our ability to be victims. They're denying us our very humanity. Why are white people getting murdered with impunity? Why is the system going out of its way to give the insanity offense to racial murderers? See, they they are riling up um the non-pigmentation man and the non-pigmentation woman in a way, anyway. So, you know, I see this coming along a lot now on here that how other entities are ribbing up this side of the nation and other entities are ribbing up this side of the nation and all this other mess gonna start we got to think man we can't allow people to allow us to think in a way that they want us to think and move in the way that they think we gonna move you got to realize this because the game is already stacked. It is, uh, as long as it's stacked going this way, it's stacked. When it's going against the grain, then you got a whoa, you got a Fred Flintstone. Breaking news coming in from Poland. Poland is issuing a massive NOTAM, a notice to airmen. This is a warning for pilots and this warning is going to last for three months and it starts tomorrow 
and it's going to go all the way through May the 5th and it's for pilots flying below 9,500 feet from ground level to 9,500 feet and the warning specifically states unplanned military actions may occur related to state security okay so we're talking about potentially polish fighter jets being scrambled polish air defense being used potentially uh enemy missiles and drones coming into poland and poland having to respond or even enemy fighter jets and here we have a map showing the location of this warning okay or NOTAM and you can see it's basically the entire eastern half of Poland including Warsaw in this warning okay and it goes from the Carpathians all the way up to the Baltic Sea this is insane guys okay and this is the area of Poland that borders Ukraine Belarus and Russia I wouldn't be concerned so much if this was only for their border with Ukraine or Belarus, but the fact that it also includes Russia, this is extremely unusual. And for three months, guys, let me read to you some more of the details here. So it says unplanned military actions may occur related to ensuring state security. And it says here that pilots have to be listening for air-to-ground voice communications on the appropriate channel of communication with the appropriate authorities. Additionally, it is recommended to turn on an SSR transponder. Okay, so they're telling anyone flying in this part of Poland, the entire basically eastern half of Poland, near uh, Belarus, Ukraine, and Russia, and Lithuania, you need to turn on an SSR transponder so we can identify you as a friend or a foe, okay, because that's what an SSR transponder does, it transmits information back to air traffic controllers about your plane, okay, lots of different details and they can identify you as a friend or foe that way, okay, so this way they can distinguish if you're not an enemy plane or an enemy missile or an enemy drone and they don't accidentally shoot you down or scramble fighter jets towards you okay and this is for ground level through 9500 feet and that's the part of the airspace where fighter jets and air defense usually operate okay i told you guys that russia was going to do something in eastern europe okay i've been warning you for a long time We also have breaking news that the Polish army has been quietly strengthening their border fortifications, including the construction of bunkers on the border with Belarus and Russia. And this is coming from the Polish newspaper Rzeczpospolita. And apparently information on the subject is extremely scarce because the plans to expand the fortifications on the border are secret. Okay, so Poland is keeping it all secret. They're not telling journalists what's going to be involved in these fortifications. Okay, but we do know that just about two weeks ago, and I reported on this, Estonia said they were going to be building 600 bunkers along their border with Russia. And if you do the math, Estonia's border with Russia is 200 miles long. So that's like one bunker every one-third of a mile okay 
and also all of the Baltic countries, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, signed an agreement to build a giant defense line along their borders with Russia and Belarus. Okay, so now Poland is doing the same thing. They're actually building bunkers on the border with Belarus and Russia. Okay, this is huge news. And now they issue this navigation warning from ground level to 9,500 feet. Okay, related to unplanned military actions that may occur related to ensuring state security. So I don't know how much more clear it can get for you guys, okay? For some of you skeptics out there, I don't know how much more clear it can get. I've been warning you guys for weeks that Russia was gonna do something to NATO, and I think we're gonna see it soon. I hope not, because I have family in Poland. This is not something that I, I'm happy to report, okay? We also have some breaking news coming in from the Danish Defense Intelligence they're saying that it's very likely that Russia will use military means to challenge NATO. Okay, so the Defense Intelligence of Denmark is saying it's very likely that Russia will use military means to challenge NATO. Remember about one or two weeks ago, all these defense ministers in NATO that were warning that, you know, they have to prepare for war with Russia. Remember uh, the British uh, General, the uh, Admiral from uh, the Netherlands or Denmark, I can't remember. Okay, all these NATO generals have been uh, warning their citizens to prepare. Okay, something is about to go down. Okay, this is absolutely unprecedented, guys. Okay, I've been following Polish news for the last 15 years on a regular basis and I have never seen anything like this before. Okay, and the fact that this goes all the way from Russia down to the Carpathians is extremely concerning, and it also includes Warsaw as well. And Forbes is reporting that Russia has massed 500 tanks, more than 600 fighting vehicles, hundreds of howitzers, and 40,000 troops along Ukraine's border with Russia opposite of Kupiansk. Okay. This is coming from Ukraine's Eastern Command. So this is coming from Ukraine's military and Forbes is reporting this. So it looks like Russia is gonna try to go in and take back Kupiansk, potentially uh, Kharkiv, we don't know. But this is huge news, hundreds of tanks, hundreds of howitzers, 40,000 Russian soldiers. They're all massed there, right opposite of Kupiansk, guys. So uh, things are really escalating. And at this hour, we currently have U.S. nuclear forces on high alert. We have two nuclear war command and control planes in the air. One of them was just out in the Gulf of Mexico. We also had a B-52 nuclear bomber that was doing loops over the Ozarks and it got aerially refueled by a KC-135. We also have a nuclear war command and control plane uh, up in the air right now coming in from the Atlantic so US nuclear forces are on high alert guys okay we also have some interesting news coming in that apparently uh, the British Navy is not going to be deploying their aircraft carrier to this massive NATO exercise this is the largest NATO exercise since 1988 
They were going to deploy the HMS Queen Elizabeth, but apparently at the last minute, they canceled the deployment due to an issue with a propeller shaft that was spotted during final checks. Guys, I don't know if I believe that. Um, I think they're keeping that thing at home just in case something escalates. They don't want that thing right there at the front lines. Okay, but NATO is moving 90,000 troops to Eastern Europe for this huge exercise. And don't be mistaken, this is not an exercise. This is a forward deployment. NATO is scared of something happening, so they're moving their troops. And we also have some breaking news coming in this morning from CBS and NBC News. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan has refused to rule out strikes inside of Iran. This was uh, stated during an interview with NBC's Meet the Press. Sullivan was asked by moderator Kristen Walker about whether the U.S. has ruled out strikes inside Iran. He said, well, sitting here today on a national news program, I'm not going to get into what we've ruled in and ruled out from the point of view of military action. What I will say is that the president is determined to respond forcefully to attacks on our people. The president is also not looking for a wider war in the Middle East. And then uh, the interviewer asked again, but is it off the table? Are strikes inside Iran off the table? And he responded again, Kristen, sitting here on TV, it would not be wise for me to talk about what we're ruling in and ruling out. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Tell them, though. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Tell them, though. Now let's talk about freedom. The Negro says, I want my freedom now. Others say no. The voice of a responsible, educated, non-biased person says togetherness. There is no other way. Until justice is blind to color. Until education is unaware of race. Until opportunity is unconcerned with the color of a man's skin. Emancipation will always be a proclamation. But not a fact. You see, prejudice squints when it looks and lies when it talks. Damn fool, tell them no 86. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice bastards. Prejudice 